Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome, welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. We made it. It's Memorial Day weekend. Uh, Memorial Day on Monday. We got a long weekend ahead of us. Let me get you into the weekend on a hot streak, fired up with an awesome show. Robbie Starbuck, our friend here in Nashville, Tennessee, is going to join us and help me talk about some of the events that transpired late uh, in the week, including Ron DeSantis announcing he's running for president over Twitter spaces. John Amachukwa, you guys have seen him. Big John, he's been on the show before. He's a minister, a pastor, a former North Carolina State football player. He's actually going to be here with us in studio uh, to talk a little news of the day, news of the end of the week. Uh, Yesterday was the anniversary of St. George Floyd's passing. Uh, You guys remember St. George Floyd. He passed away on May 25th. We'll talk about that and a few other things in the news with Big John. Steve Kim is going to uh, come in and uh, hopefully crack a couple of jokes. Kwame Brown has gone after uh, Michael Jordan. uh, Not Michael Jordan. (laughs) LeBron James. We'll talk about that with Steve Kim. And Shamika Michelle will come in at the end of the show and help me make sense of a number of things, including uh, Kim Kardashian uh, saying that Kanye West's behavior will have a worse impact on her kids than her sex tape. So action-packed, filled show for you uh, on this Friday afternoon. And we'll start by bringing in Robbie Starbuck. Uh, Robbie, welcome back to the show, and thank you for making the time. Robbie, I, I got to say, j- the times you've been on, you've had a jacket on. I didn't notice the long rock and roll haircut guy. You look like a California guy uh, this time on the show. You look kind of young and hip, like, you know, you want to be a, you moved out here to Nashville to be a, a, a country music star. Please, please. You gotta, you gotta see the white hair, okay? There's white hair in here. Um, we're doing a project right now. I think, I think the haircut and everything will make more sense to people in a few months. Um, there'll be a project coming out. I think people will be very excited about. And um, the haircut made sense for the project. I'll put it that way. But um, yeah, no, you are right. The suit is basically my uniform, so it's weird for people when they see me not in it. But it, it will make sense soon. Well, <laughs> you're making the show because I'm such an old fart. You're making in the show seeing young and hip so I, I appreciate that actually uh, maybe we'll get some uh, younger viewers today but I, I want to start with Ron DeSantis uh, tried to do something original and and innovative on Wednesday he announced his bid for the presidency over Twitter spaces there were some technical glitches uh, that kind of hampered the thing off the start And then once he got into it, he and Elon Musk 
you know, there were some interesting things said, but he's not quite the personality that Don, uh, Donald Trump is. What did you think of the launch of Ron DeSantis' bid for the presidency? Well, you know, the technical issues are one thing. I think that that's always going to be, you know, if this fails, if the campaign fails, people are always going to go back to that and compare the way that the launch happened and the technical difficulties to the entire campaign. However, I will say this. I think it was innovative to do it there. And I think it was smart. And I think every other presidential candidate should go do that forum. They should go do Twitter spaces with Elon Musk. He invited all of them. They should all go do it. Because number one, I mean, if we can somehow coerce the left into putting Joe Biden in a Twitter spaces with Elon Musk and David Sachs and all those guys. I mean, that's it. That's the end. There's no way that dude's getting elected. Um, that's all it's going to take. But if you put some of these other people in there, it's going to be, you know, except someone like Vivek, I think will bring, you know, really exciting ideas and have really great conversation. I think that's somebody who really is angling for a cabinet post and may be able to bring some innovative new things to government. So I think that, you know, it's good we hear what he's got to say. Um, then you've got to have Trump in there. I mean, Trump's got to get on Twitter. It's going to end up becoming a problem for him if he doesn't get on at some point. So I'd say that's a good way to make the uh, the new introduction is go do a Twitter spaces with Elon Musk. In, in just in the immediate 24, 48 hours after this, was that thing a bad look for Twitter or a bad look for Ron DeSantis, the, the technical glitches? Well, you know, I mean, you could look at it a bunch of different ways. For me, I, you know, I'm sort of tech minded and, and I'm very analytical. And the way I kind of see it is it's it's always kind of a good problem. We have so many people who want to get into something that it causes technical problems and it causes you to upscale for growth. I think that the amount of people who were showing up there was not exactly what they were expecting. I think they were expecting big, not quite that big. But it also proved the model in terms of how great of a free speech forum this could actually be for the future. Because when you think about the mainstream media and the control they've had over presidential candidates and their presentation, I mean, it's just been totally mainstream media controlled for a very long time. Even when Trump was running, you know, aside from social media, you know, and him typing away on Twitter, it was still mainstream media that he was giving interviews to his New York Times. It's all these places. And I think that this model with Tucker going to Twitter and doing his show there soon, and then you see these Twitter spaces pulling in over five million people on a, on a space. I think that, you know, there is a positive way to look at this that, hey, this could be a real avenue for, you know, freedom from this mainstream media complex that has really stolen, you know, people's time and lied to them over many years. So I think it'd be a positive. It's a negative on the front side when you look at the short term and you say, hey, this didn't come out as cleanly as they wanted it to, obviously. But I do think, you know, long term growth and thinking about the freedom from this media industrial complex, I think it's a good thing. You know, it's, it's good growing pains. You, you know what? I think you're right, and you're giving me a different way of looking at it than my initial thought, because mainstream media, corporate media, is going to go overboard and saying what a disaster this was, and it's really what they're saying to see, you need us. You need Jack Tepper or uh, Anderson Cooper or Chris Hayes to interview these people and ask all the right questions. And, and so they could really pin uh, uh, <laughs> Ron DeSantis down on, hey, Elon Musk, let's compare him to a grand KKK wizard or whatever so they can ask all their stupid questions. And there was none of that. 
And and actually, yeah. if you were interested in Ron DeSantis' policy positions and, and hearing how he feels like he can execute some of the things he wants to do, this was actually awesome. And you actually reduce a lot of the stupidity and frivolousness that corporate media brings into the discussion. You're absolutely right. And think about this. If Ron DeSantis had gone on, let's say, Anderson Cooper or gone on Hannity and made this announcement, how many people would have tuned in? It would have been like, what, maybe two million tops? Okay. On a Twitter spaces, they hit over five million. Okay. And that's not including reshares later on and everything else. So you're talking about content that will, at the end of this, you know, sort of tunnel or funnel over the next few weeks, probably end up in somewhere around the range of 20 million people sharing it via social media. And then you have all the mainstream outlets then clipping pieces of it and re airing it. I don't know what that number will end up being, but all of that ends up producing something that I think more people are going to be exposed to, especially people who are not partisans will be exposed to versus going on CNN or Fox News. And that's the other thing, too, that people are missing here is there is a value in reaching people who are not Fox News viewers, who are not CNN viewers. OK, the Fox News viewers, the CNN viewers are pretty hardened voters in terms of their voter ID. OK, and I know he's running in a primary. So, yes, you have to reach the Fox News people, but you also need to reach people who are not party affili affiliated independents, because some of those people will register as Republicans and vote in a Republican primary. Some of them live in states where you don't have to register and you can just go vote in a Republican primary. So reaching those people does have a value. And I think especially for the general, which is why I'm saying, you know, somebody like Trump who's in the lead in the primary should do a spaces like this because you're going to reach people who are not your primary hardcore Republican based voters. And I think that's something you do need to reach. You do need to talk to and they need to see a different side of you that is able to be nuanced, go through policy, show your leadership abilities, no means no, you know, foolishness or anything, because I know I know everybody, you know, likes the fun that Trump can create on social media. You know, he, he loves his memes. He loves all this stuff. It's kind of like Elon Musk. You know, people love that he posts memes and everything. But you need to do these forums as well where people can see, hey, you're thoughtful. You listen. You're intelligent. You've got good ideas. And so I think I think it's a good idea for him to do it just so people can see him in that environment who are not party affiliated, are independent and are maybe the types of people like Elon Musk who left the left, who have been Democrat voters, but are so done with wokeness that they want something new and they're willing to listen. Robbie, perfect segue to what I want to talk about, wokeness. And, and I'm, I'm, I hope my instincts tell me, I think we're headed to a very important moment come June 1. When I look at the Bud Light thing and the reaction to Dylan Mulvaney and, and how, hey, like, we got to win here. We've given some effective pushback to Bud Light. There's a win here. Target, it looks like there may be a win there as you know they put out their tuck-friendly, kid-friendly swimsuits and all that. There's been some significant pushback. And so I think June 1, when Pride Month starts and all these corporations have spent money, advertising dollars that we're gonna be spread all across corporate television, all over the internet, they're just gonna jam this stuff down our throats. And it, it feels like we're at a moment where people have finally had enough and they wanna do some real pushback. I, I, I feel like Pride Month this year may blow up in the left's face 
uh, I, I feel like the, the, the culture war, the winds are starting to blow a different direction. Oh, you're absolutely right. This is going to be the month that defines the future of how these issues are seen in America. So here's the key for people on our side. Don't get distracted by micro fights. Focus on the big fights. So like we've got Target in our sights. We've got Bud Light. You know, Matt Walsh and I have messaged constantly on this. We have got to make sure that we punish key companies as examples, because what we need is corporate America to be afraid again. They need to fear the loss of Christian conservative voters whether you're Christian, whether you're conservative, they need to fear those people, okay? And they've got to fear them a lot. And so you look at what's happening with Bud Light. I saw something incredible this morning. Bud Light has started a new operation with a rebate program that's automatic. You scan a QR code, you get a digital credit card, and you can then pay for a free case of beer, a case, not a can, a case of beer with the credit card they give you, okay? What does this tell you? A number of things. Not only are their sales just absolutely horrific and they're desperate to retain customers, but beyond that, they are trying to find ways to move cases because it's cheaper for them to give them away than it is for them to ship them back and then destroy these once they become too old to sell. And here's the secondary part of this. This also helps fudge their sales numbers because technically that's still a sale, okay? Now, if you think about it in those terms, they're doing that and they still have a 30% drop in sales. What is the real number? I think we're gonna find that out soon because they can't keep this rebate up forever, okay? Secondary part of this target I checked right before I came on, 11% drop in their stock since this started earlier this week, okay? That is massive. That's a huge part of their market cap. You keep this going. Stock doesn't say everything, by the way, because there's activist investors who may come in, swoop in, try to save target stock price. However, their next quarterly report will show their sales numbers. If we can show that we gave them a hit the way we gave Bud Light a hit, then corporate America is going to think very long and hard about these types of programs. But I, I do think in Pride Month, part of the reason this is changing right now is because this is unlike previous Pride Months, and you already see it, okay? We're not even into June yet, and we've seen some of the most insane marketing we've ever seen that goes much further, and it's targeting kids. In the past Pride Months, it was always kind of like, this this sort of pseudo like hey we're dipping our toes in the water and this is geared toward adults we're not pushing it on kids now it's full bore now it's the woke people are in control we're going all the way there's tuck it underwear for your kids there's tuck it swimsuits for your kids there's shirts about them being trans and parents are going ah, ah nope okay we draw the line here and this is what's key for us is to make sure that we're not overreactive where we're trying to create movements where there's a thousand different targets because that's where you lose you can't lose okay you've got to focus on key companies and we'll be messaging about the key ones you've got to focus in on and make them our main targets where we make sure we make it socially unacceptable and this is very important the success of the bud light boycott is built around the fact that men like us made it socially unacceptable for other men to be seen with a bud light you're not seen as a man the same way if you're holding that bud light that's what made it so successful, okay? Now with Target, women are doing a similar thing. They're creating a social, unacceptable you know, behavior paradigm around going and shopping at Target. So we've gotta continue this on key targets to prove our point to corporate America, and it will result in a massive so, shift. And I hear you on the key targets. I think that's gonna be hard to manage, though, based on what I'm expecting to happen starting June 1, because we've already got North Face. 
Someone's already, you know, the, 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 a commercial of theirs has come out that people have pointed to. How, how do we manage when it could be anybody? It could be the Ford Motor Company. It could be Amazon. It's Because as a sports fan, I'm going to be watching the NBA Finals starting June 1. And I'm, I'm, I'm preparing myself mentally for a barrage of commercials that, that any commercial is going to, I think, it could potentially be laced with this. How do we manage, and, and, and I get, I love that you and Matt Walsh are collaborating uh, and, and communicating with each other, but how are we going to manage to know which companies to focus on? Because it could be anybody. Yeah, I would tell people, focus on, you know, listening to a few, most people, I'll put it this way, most people don't have time to come up with a strategy for how to do this. They just, they tune in, they see what's going on during the day and and that's it, okay? If you're going to do that, find key people that you trust who are on this issue, like myself, Matt Walsh, or Jason, and follow along and see what are the targets, okay? Because here's the thing, if you think about this like a war, you have strategic targets, okay? So you name the North Face. Here's the truth about the North Face. The North Face's customer base is actually not incredibly conservative, even though it's an outdoor apparel company. It's a lot of hipsters who wanna play pretend like they're Lewis and Clark on an adventure on the weekend, and it's overpriced outdoor apparel, okay? Are there conservatives who buy it? Yes, but they are not the core base of the company, okay? When you look at Bud Light, their core base of customers were conservatives. It's why we're so effective with this. Same thing with Target. A lot of conservative moms shop there. That is bread and butter for them. Those are the types of businesses we wanna hit, is companies like that, Ford. Ford, a lot of conservatives buy Ford. So if you're not a fan of the very gay Raptor truck, punish Ford. Next time you're looking for a truck, don't choose them as your next truck. So we've got to pick out key brands where we really are a huge chunk of the customer base because this is where this dies. If we choose companies where we're not the core base and they don't move a needle and they in fact go further with their messaging, it does the exact opposite. It removes the fear out of the room. We need to focus in and show that every time we set our sights on a company, we're crushing them. And when we crush them, we need to make the other companies afraid. That's how we're gonna make them afraid. And by proxy, there's a social contagion effect that happens even among corporations. So if you make them afraid because of the the you know outcomes of Bud Light and Target, then that by itself, they're not thinking in terms of, oh, well, their customer base was conservative, so that's why. They're thinking just in terms of general fear. We don't want that same thing to happen to us. And that's a very human nature-based emotion. So if we can cater to that, we think strategically, they think emotionally, make them emotionally afraid by the outcomes of our strategic decisions to target key companies where we are the core base. So just, you know, if you don't have the time to research this or make your own plan, follow people like me and Matt or Jason, And I think you'll see good messaging on this in terms of who are the places we need to focus on. Well, and I hope, I don't, I hope it doesn't, but I really don't care. When I'm listening to you, I'm thinking like Bud Light, that's that's MAGA people. When I think of Target, MAGA people (laughs) go to Target and Walmart and places like that. And that is part of why this has been so successful. The other thing I think about, and I started thinking about this yesterday, uh, Robbie, is that uh, take Black Lives Matter. It it, it was a hashtag and and it took off. And and I do think we'll need some sort of hashtag uh, that will be an indicator, I think, and a prompt for people 
as well. And and one of the things I, I've been thinking about that I think we're going to do, you know, we haven't made any kind of final decision, but my gut instinct says this show is going to really go heavy in June about reclaiming the rainbow. And, and I know yes. there have been some people over the years that have uh, done some take back the rainbow deal, but we're going to lean really hard into reclaiming the rainbow and and it, it comes from this whole Dodger situation that I'm gonna talk with you about next. When This week when I wrote about the Dodgers and them bowing to the sisters of per, perpetual indulgence, uh, you know, I, I did all this research and I was like, hold on man, organized sports was founded basically and set up by the YMCA, Young Men's Christian Association. The, if you go back to the, that's in the 1800s. If you go to the 1900s, the Catholic Youth Organization, CYO, was the number one proponent of using sports to integrate America and end racial discrimination. The foundations of sports and what we have today and everybody's living off of and benefiting from and making all this money, it was founded by Christians and we're letting the secular come in and run us out like we didn't create this, like this isn't ours. And that's the same thing I look at the rainbow. That's ours, they took it, we need to take it back. Yeah, that's God's rainbow. You need to get with my wife on this because my wife has been railing on this for quite a bit here that, that we need to reclaim it. But, you know, in terms of what you said when it comes to organized sports, I mean, look no further than you're talking about the YMCA. The YMCA is now letting people, men, biological men, go into women's locker rooms naked and with erect penises. I mean, that that's where the YMCA is now. And that should speak to the perversion that has sort of infected our culture at large and all of these organized leagues. And, you know, I, I'm sure you have more to say on this. The Dodgers thing, I have a lot to say on it. I'm Cuban. Baseball's in my blood. I played baseball. You know, baseball is as close to a religion as you can get that's not a religion if you're Cuban, okay? It's just literally you have a ball in your hand before you can walk. You've got a bat in your hand before you can crawl probably. Like it is it is everything in Cuban culture. And what, what we're seeing right now is just absolutely disgusting. And I have a lot of Major League Baseball players who follow me. It's probably the most conservative sport. And um, I, I call them out. They're cowards. You're being cowards because these guys talk to me in private they're, you know, the type of people who they pretend to care about the issues and stuff. But I'm sorry if you won't stand up for your faith. I, I get the I get the guys who are like, oh, I can't get political because I'm about to sign a three hundred million dollar contract and it's going to create a bunch of problems maybe later after my contract. OK, I, I kind of get it. I still think it's cowardly, but I kind of get it. I, I can I can deal with that. What I can't deal with is if you're such a coward, you won't speak out for your God. If you won't speak out for your Christian faith. For Jesus Christ, you won't speak out for anything. You are the definition of a coward. You have no backbone. You worship and your true God is money and Major League Baseball and fame. And that is who you truly worship. Okay. And that's that's the message I challenged them all privately in DMs and in text messages. I told every single one of them. I took the time. I took like four hours to go through this, find every person in Major League Baseball and send them messages and essentially challenge them. Do something about this. Put pressure on the Dodgers players. Ask them to stand up. But you can make you can make a statement too. You can say, hey, this is anti-Christian hate. This is anti-Catholic hate. And I'm not cool with it. And I don't want the appearance that 
I endorse this stuff by not saying anything. So I just want to put out there that I think it's wrong that a major league baseball team is honoring an anti-Catholic, anti-Christian well, hate group. Just And this is why I think this June is going to be different. And, and it's a time for us to really activate and, and, and because these Pride Nights are going to be going on all throughout Major League Baseball. The Dodgers' Pride Night is June 16th, in the middle of June. It's not going to be June 1. But all these teams are going to be having their Pride Night. And, and I think the kind of pressure you're putting on and, and people just clearly spelling out like, hey, guys, what's going on here? I, I, I get it. We want to be inclusive. But, but th- can't you see where this is going? We're being excluded. Our beliefs, Christian beliefs, are being excluded and pushed out. And, and I think we could uh, provoke a, a major leaguer, two, three, maybe 50, to, to do what Colin Kaepernick, idiot or not, at least he had the balls to do something. Maybe we can provoke some of these Christian baseball players to not play on Pride Night. I mean, the whole, it's not just the anti-Catholic thing. Anybody, particularly any of these Catholic baseball players, pride is a sin. It's just the whole concept of pride goes against the teachings of the Bible. I I just think we got to strike while the iron's hot and it's going to be real hot this June. Yeah, and they're serving you up the greatest opportunity that you have ever had if you're a Major League Baseball player to speak out on this issue. You know why? Because they can't call you a homophobe. They can't call you transphobic. If that's what you're afraid of, this is about religion. They are honoring an anti-Catholic, anti-Christian hate group. We need the moms, the wives, the abuelas, the bisabuelas. We need all of them to get together with these, especially Latino Catholic Baseball players, like, there's no excuse. You guys were raised Catholic. I know the women in your family. They want you to speak up. They like strong men who stand up and speak up. You need to speak up for your family, for your faith, and say, hey, this is wrong, okay? And it's not hard to do. I can tell you this. I don't know if this is breaking any news. I don't think anybody else has said this, but I I did get a few responses from some of the baseball players, and I can say for sure that their union has been contacted by players. Players feel like they've been left out in a lurch, that the union has not protected them, that essentially, you know, they've allowed this stuff to go on with the teams and by proxy make it look like the players all endorse this stuff and they know it puts the players in a horrible position where they're having to deny their faith or their values by not saying anything and they want to be good employees, they want to just, you know, play baseball and I get it. But I know the union has been contacted and it's something that is part of a discussion that's going on right now. Ultimately, I do think their union needs to do something about this because, you know, imagine they were honoring any, say it was an anti-Semitic group. There'd be no question. Media would be asking questions. Players would be talking. The union would be talking. And we have to have the exact same type of authority, especially given the fact that Christians are the majority of baseball fans or the majority of baseball players. It should not be hard to get a few words out of these people to say, hey, this is not okay. Man, you just nailed it. Just think if the Chicago White Sox or the Chicago Cubs, uh, hey, we're gonna honor Louis Farrakhan. He's Nation of Islam's base right here in Chicago. We're, we're gonna have Black Pride or we're gonna have Black Pride Night and Louis Farrakhan. That thing would get shut down so quick. Two seconds, it, two it, seconds. It and happen. honestly, it, it wouldn't just get shut down, by the way. 
you know that there would be a discussion about whether the owner should be forced to sell their team. You know that would happen, 100%. Robbie, thank you so much. I'm going to be in contact off air because I I, I do want to push this, you know, reclaim the rainbow thing. And I I do want to be a part of making sure we take advantage of what I think is a tipping point and what's coming in the air. They're going to shove this stuff down our face. So everybody's only cowards won't react. So thank you so much, Robbie. Uh, You know, next time put a sport coat on. You know, I I don't I don't need the distraction. The the women come to this show to look at me, not you, Robbie. So don't 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 try to be a distraction. Anyway, (laughs) Uh, before we get to uh, our next guest, I want to tell you about uh, you know, the sponsor that I told you guys that I've been with long before they were a sponsor for this show. For two years, or uh, a little less than two years, but as I've been going on my weight loss journey, I started taking liver health to treat a fatty liver. I just assumed I had a fatty liver and I, I was proven right. Liver health formula, this little thing, been taken for like 18 months. It's been a part of my weight loss journey that you guys have been witnessing and watching. I can't give this product any stronger endorsement. You know, the American Heart Association says that adults with fatty liver were three and a half times more likely to have heart failure than those without. The American Liver Foundation says that 100 million Americans have fatty liver, which means many people are at risk. We throw everything at our livers, cholesterol, alcohol, toxins, Tylenol, statins, cigarettes. That's why so many of us have a sluggish fatty liver that makes us gain weight and lose energy. For decades now, your liver helped you with over 500 key functions every day. It's time to help your liver. There's a solution, Liver Health Formula, an all-natural supplement which contains 12 clinically proven botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. Manufactured right here in the USA and approved by the American doctors. So, if you're looking to ignite your fat-burning metabolism, boost your energy, and transform how you look and feel, try Liver Health Formula and receive a free bottle of blood sugar formula to reduce sugar cravings when you order today. Try Liver Health Formula by going to getliverhelp.com slash Jason and claim your free bonus gift. That's getliverhelp.com slash Jason. You can email me and us, fearlessblazeshow at gmail.com. Hit those likes, hit the subscribes. If you're watching over Apple, give me that five-star review. Big John, next. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back. Honored to be joined by John Amanchukwu in studio here with me live. You guys know Big John. You've seen his videos. You've seen him on this show. He's here in Nashville doing something for TP USA, Charlie Kirk's group. A lot of ministers here in town in, in Nashville this week. 
Just for those of you that are unfamiliar with Big John, he played football at North Carolina State. He's been a successful pastor. He's been doing these videos where he goes to school boards and city council meetings. Let's refresh people's memories or give you your first take of Big John in action. Here's his latest video. This book here, it's called It's Perfectly Normal. I'll read some of this for you. It says, after a bit, a person's becomes moist and slippery and the clitoris becomes hard. After a bit, a person's becomes erect, stiff and larger. Sometimes a bit of clear fluid that may contain sperm comes out of the tip of the and makes it wet. Can we, sir, I'm sorry. Was it something I said? If you don't want to hear it in a school board meeting, why should children be able to check it out of the school system? We have perverts that are perverting our kids. And you all sit back smug in your chairs, but you don't want me to read it. Why? Does it bother you? Yes or no? You can't answer that question. You want to know why? Because politically speaking, you can't say that it's wrong. And you don't want me to read the filth because it exposes the truth. How dare you tell me to stop reading it? If you don't want to hear it, why should the children have to see it? Pastor, your time is, is, time is up. Thank you. That makes two of us. Mm. That is Big John in action. John, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show and being And thank you for uh, the work you do out in these streets. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Jason. It's a wonderful thing to be on set with you here in Nashville. Uh, so this segues with the conversation I was just having with Robbie Starbuck. I think we're at a unique time, John. I think you are striking at the right time. I think people around, the America, around America have had it up to here. They've had enough. Mm. And with this whole LGBTQ alphabet mafia, just shoving their point of view, their way down everyone's throats. And I look at what's going on with Bud Light. I look at what's going on with Target and how people are finally starting to say enough is enough. And, and I think it's all gonna come to a head this Pride Month. We're just a week away from virtually every corporation shoving this pride agenda down our throat. And I think we need to just as aggressively push back and say, no, we're tired of this. Yes. Uh, I think the time is now for us to confront the people that have been confronting and pushing us into push. You know, we talk about it all the time. Delano says it all the time. We've been put in the closet, the Christians. We're in the closet. We hide our faith while they promote their perversion. Right. You know, and I, I would say that you're, you're right about that, and Delano's correct as well. Uh, some Christians have been placed in the closet, you know, but from the inception of this filth, this God awful agenda, there have been some Christians out there who said, you're not going to put me in the closet. You're not going to shut me up. 
I have a voice. I have a right to speak. There is something called absolute truth that supersedes man. You know, the fragrance of God is righteousness, but the fragrance of man is sin. And so we are falling beings. We need the redemption of God. And so I represent that sect of Christians who from the inception said, no, I'm not going to shut up. I'm going to speak up. Romans chapter one speaks of uh, these individuals. It says that they are haters of God. They hate God. What God do they hate? They hate the God of the Bible. It takes a person being filled with hate to tell an awesome and glorious God who made us in his image and we're fearfully and wonderfully made. It takes a person who hates God to tell God, no, you made me in the wrong way. I mean, who are you to tell God that he's wrong? How can you correct God? We say this all the time that our arms are too short to box with God. Who knows the mind of Christ? Scripture says we don't know. It also says, what is man? that thou art even mindful of him. God, that you would even think about us. Who are we? And for us to try to strive with our maker is asinine. We are created in the image of God. What we have today, we have the created trying to instruct the creator and it will never work. You and I were talking before this segment about my belief and, and your church is already executing this like yes hey, we got to take back the rainbow yes we, we can't allow them to steal something god a promise god made to us and then turn it into something that they think somehow represents them we have to take back the rainbow and let people ask because i think there are young people yes there's old people right that don't even know what the rainbow actually represents. Yes. Well, you know, the rainbow is our promise from God that he would not flood the earth again. All right. He gave us that promise. But to those who support the LGBTQ agenda, the alphabet mafia, they, they, they view it as a promise of perversion. You know, our rainbow, the seven striped rainbow occurs naturally in nature. But the six striped rainbow that they support, the alphabet mafia, it doesn't occur naturally in nature. You know, the scripture tells us in Genesis 9 verse 13, it says, I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and the earth. OK, but when you get to Revelations, God speaks of another rainbow. It says Revelation chapter four, verse three. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. So there's one rainbow that we can see down here that naturally occurs in nature. And that is the rainbow that belongs to the church that we need to reclaim. But there's another bow that will be shown shown upon the throne of God when we get to heaven. And guess what? The alphabet mafia, if they do not embrace the name of Christ and ask God for forgiveness, they will not be able to see the rainbow that's upon the throne of God. And so my message is this, it's evangelism. God loves the sinner. He hates the sin. God is not long suffering to anyone. You know, but God is long suffering towards everyone, uh, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So he wants everyone to repent. But for those of you who support the alphabet mafia, those of you who are allies 
of the, of the alphabet mafia. You might not be one, but you condone it. Listen, you will miss the true rainbow that we all want to see, and that's in the presence of God. You're going to miss heaven, streets paved in gold. There are, there are precious stones that lead to the gates of the city. We're all going to drink from the crystal fountain. We'll study uh, war no more. There'll be no more crying, no more tears, no more sorrow. All of that will take place in God's presence in heaven. And so what we see today is the enemy's intentional plan to confuse mankind so they won't see the emerald bow. It's not about the seven colored bow that we see down here, Jason. It's about the emerald bow that those who have professed the name of Christ and have died in the faith, even the many martyrs that have gone on, they have caught a glimpse of that emerald bow. John, your background in sports and this is what Robbie Starbuck and I were talking about as it relates to Major League Baseball players because it's baseball season and when Pride Month is going on and they're faced with it. But, but I did a mono, wrote a column earlier this week about just how all organized sports actually owe their founding to the YMCA. <laughs> and, and the YMCA, people don't realize this, but it's Young Men's Christian Association. That's right. And in the 1800s, they wanted, they explicitly said, they wanted to uh, promote muscular Christianity. <laughs> they, they explicitly, that, that was their goal, globally. And, and then, uh, so they organized sports and saw athleticism and, and training in sports as a way to honor God and to promote a style of manliness that would be helpful to society. And, and so I look at athletes, I look at football players, I look at basketball players, I look at all these athletes, like, do they understand who organize mm. these sports and who they should be grateful for to, towards? We would rather ally with people who don't believe in God, want to celebrate a lifestyle that is antithetical to what God wants from us, I just, I don't understand how athletes can't find their tongue on this, can't wise up and say, hey, okay guys, enough is enough. Well, when are athletes going to, you know, stand up? Everybody loves after the game, I wanna thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. People, they'll gather in a circle on a knee on the field and take a knee. Those things seem really easy to me rather than like, hey, this whole LGBT pandering we're doing, this has got to stop. Right. When are athletes going to find that voice? Well, I think we need to reposition how we view the role of athletes and remove them from this pedestal, right? Oftentimes we create a God complex. When we look at athletes, we see them to be more than what they are. At the end of the day, the athletes, they catch balls, they run balls, they tackle people, they swing baseball bats, right? They shoot fadeaway <laughs> jump shots. Good. But what does it have to do with morality? Nothing. 
It's a sport, you know? And so we, we must bring them back to their proper place. Yes, they're on TV. Yes, they make multi-million dollar contracts and some of them might have even become billionaires. But are they our best options for role models? Or do they need to be discipled and led themselves? Now, I would also apply to this as well that many athletes have embraced Scripture. Scripture says this, the love of money is the root cause of all evil. And so here it is. Many athletes are doing what's best for the brand and not for the child who's enamored by their fadeaway jump shot. What they're doing is saying what's necessary to get the money to keep coming in. And so they don't want to protect the sanctity of womanhood. They want to protect their brand. As a Christian man, first and foremost, who ended up playing football, I was trying to protect the brand of Christianity. Not my personal brand so that I can go viral and make lots of money and become rich, rich and, and um, get all the wealth that I possibly can can get at the expense of those who view me as a role model. And so we must adjust the lens. Our lenses have a smudge on it. I don't expect much from the athletes today. I told you this before that many athletes are physically strong, but they're mentally weak. And we're allowing those who are mentally weak to give us our marching orders. Many of these athletes are allies to the pride movement. Some have even taken their children and had them become darlings of the alphabet mafia. You know, you look at Dwayne Wade and what he has done with his son. You're going to transition your boy. What man in his right mind would do that to his son, let alone his daughter? Every man wants to have a son to walk in the same footsteps. But for you to support the transitioning of your son, to celebrate that, to be happy about it. And I believe many other organizations came out. I believe the NAACP and others yeah. and supported that. I mean, we've lost our mind. Consider the NAACP. It, it used to be about the advancement of colored people. But now it's about the advancement of queer people. Why is it? Why, why has it changed? Well, the NAACP was in the red and they needed to find a way to bring in some money. So what did they do? I told you earlier, the love of money is the root cause of all evil. Money isn't bad. Money is good. Jesus talked about money quite a bit, but money can be used to leverage support. And so what the NAACP is doing, what many of these athletes are doing, they're doing what's best for their bank account because they can care less about the general public. <clears throat> Man, you're you're <laughs> you're saying all kinds of things that I, I I say all the time and some people love it. Some people hate it. it it's it's I'm going to throw another hot topic at you because uh, <laughs> yesterday was the. Uh, anniversary of St. George Floyd and social media was lit up, you know, and everybody talking about George Floyd and, and uh, it, 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 it just, it drives me crazy about how 
what we celebrate, and again, and, and do I feel sorry for George Floyd? Absolutely, and I, I want to be perfectly clear, John. You don't know me as well, but or have followed me. But I had a cousin that I helped raise. His name's Anton Butler. He was killed by sheriffs in Indianapolis. Me and my family believe he was wrongly killed by sheriffs. I paid for Anton's funeral. I helped raise him. Family is. This happened in 2012. It's been more than a decade now. Still a lot of pain. His mother's my first cousin. We grew up like brothers and sisters. Loved that kid. And, 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 but Anton made some decisions that put himself in harm's way. We feel like uh, the sheriffs overreacted and all that. So I, I don't say this loosely. And I look at a lot of people that cape up for George Floyd or whatever, and, and, and it all seems like they're building their own brand. Mm. They're all disconnected, and, and again, so, and they look at me and say, well, how come, how you say this about George Floyd? And I look at Anton's picture every day. It sits prominently in my home. But, but and, and, and again, I think what happened to him was wrong, but I also know what he did to put himself in that position. Mm. And, and so I don't say this loosely about George Floyd and the worship of George Floyd, these idols that that this idolatry that is run wild and it's it's in combination you're talking about the idol you know how we idolize and have this idolatrous deal we have with athletes from LeBron James to any and all of them to now these dead black men like George Ford with this you know criminal history that this idolatrous deal we have. Idolatry, just how you say the love of money is at the root of all evil, yes. idolatry is at the root of all sin. <laughs> and, and we, as America as a whole, but particularly with us in, black, in the black community, we have an idolatry problem that is not being corrected or dealt with. Right. I agree with that. You know, I I don't want to retry the case. We all were able to witness and see what happened and how the, the, the media used intentional tactics and tools to create an image and a reality that wasn't true. We, 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 all, we all know that. Do I believe that justice has been served? Yes. Um, however, there are people who made, once again, a false idol out of George Floyd. Consider the D.I.E. business, all right? It ballooned to $3.4 billion after the death of George Floyd. I told you in the beginning, the love of money is the root cause of all evil. You know, the Bible is more current than tomorrow's newspaper. <laughs> and so if you want to get a clear understanding of what's going on and the why, turn to the scriptures. Don't turn to LeBron. Don't turn to the NAACP. All right. Truly, don't turn to the left or to the right. We need to turn to the Bible. God's truth endures to all generations. And so they capitalized off of his death. And now they are bankrupt. Go figure. If you go through the line items and you've watched um, Candace Owens uh, show as well, her documentary on it, 
How much support went towards George Floyd's family? I haven't seen much, if any. Those are the individuals that BLM should have been raising money for to take care of his family and his children. But no, through self-aggrandizement and through them wanting to enrich themselves, let's go march the streets and shout, no justice, no peace, no justice, no peace. Say his name. Say his name. So they shout the name of George Floyd, which for some is a form of what we call necromancy. And that's when you conjure up the spirit of a person by constantly speaking their name. You seek to bring their spirit back. It's called necromancy. Saul did that in the Old Testament. He tried to bring back the spirit of Samuel. And so we see necromancy, which is ungodly, as they chant and march down the streets, say his name, Michael Brown, and all of this, these different things. Um, those individuals seek to make an idol out of George Floyd for gain. And who lost the most? Black America. And who caused Black America to lose black America in particular, in this case, three black women, one of which her name is Patrice Cullors, said that she was a trained Marxist. You go to the BLM website. What did it say? They wanted to destroy the nuclear family. How does that benefit black America when 80 percent of black homes are led by who? A woman who looks like Patrice Colors, although she may not be uh, a part of the elf alphabet mafia, it's no, still she's a, part of the alphabet mafia. Well, uh, the woman that may be at home watching oh, this, right? right? Yeah. But Patrice Colors in particular, she's a yeah. part of the alphabet mafia. Yeah. But these women in general, they are they are taking their marching orders. They're seeing what's being pushed upon them, and it's not the it's not black women's fault that you know they, it's we have a matriarchal structure in the black community. The blame should be laid at the feet of black men because we haven't done our job properly. And so as we see it today, um, black America lost again. We chanted, we marched, we shouted and we screamed. And what did we get? I tell you what we got. We were set back once again. What did Patrice Cullors get and the rest of her goons? They got enriched with Filthy, the Bible says, lucre, filthy money, money that has been conjured up and gained through vain practices and methods. Black America must open their eyes and see that we are constantly being used as puppets. They dangle carrots in front of us. Let's rile them up. Let's get them angry. Let's get them upset. An election is coming. We know what to do. How do we keep the Negro? Can I say Negro? Absolutely. How do we keep the <laughs> Negro on the liberal plantation? You know what? We pull the scab off of a wound and watch them bleed, right? Let them bleed before our eyes so that we can pull them in once again and get their boats. And guess what? It works. Blacks have become the cheap prostitutes of the Democrat Party. They screw us and barely pay us. And we keep coming back for more. We have become the hookers, politically speaking, for the Democrat Party. 
We wear the short dress. We put on the fishnet stockings. We are the hookers for the left. And white liberals capitalize off of black people being ignorant and gullible. The Bible says my people suffer for the lack of knowledge. So what we're doing here with this conversation, Jason, you understand where we're going. We want to expose the truth. We want to enlighten our people because we love them so much. I'm a black man that's happy in my black skin. Can't make a God out of skin tone, though, but I'm proud to be black. I'm almost like James Brown. I'm black and I'm proud. I'm not a black man trying to be a white man, trying to be a Hispanic, trying to be a Pacific Islander. No, I'm black and I love it. But I love my people so much to tell them the truth. That's love. Love is not going along to get along, saying what people want to hear to make them feel good. We have enough of our black people in our community who have become clowns who do that. Stop the clown show and let's present the true black leaders, men and women who will speak and look the enemy in the eye and call a spade a spade. Will these individuals be athletes? The jury is still out. But there are common people in America who want to save this country. And they recognize that the direction that we're going in is not in the right direction. John, let the church say amen. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't think I can top that. Uh, we will, at a later date, have a conversation about me and my feelings on the word pride and proud and all of that. We'll do that at a later date. Uh, and my audience is in there. It's like, I'm trying to eliminate the word pride from my vocabulary. I don't, I don't talk, but we'll do that later. I, I, I can't, what you said was brilliant. It was awesome. Thank you for stopping by. Uh, enjoy Nashville. Uh, when we come back, Steve Kim's gonna join us to talk a little Kwame Brown, LeBron James. Next. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're going to roll out to Los Angeles, bring in Steve Kim, the Korean Cosell. We got just one topic we want to talk with Steve about. There's beef, beef in these streets. Kwame Brown versus LeBron James. Uh, he called him a stat sheet junkie. Uh, LeBron James's goon, Shannon Sharp, went off on Kwame Brown on Undisputed. Kwame Brown has responded, but we'll play the clip of uh, Kwame beefing or dissing LeBron James. Let's play that clip. You, you are a stat sheet junkie. You a bad boy when it comes to stats. Throughout history, people are going to, you know, the little nerds are going to look up your stat line and they're going to say, he's got to be the greatest player that ever played the game. And, and people who actually play are going to know that is bullshit. I have never seen a guy of your caliber, supposed caliber, you don't even get a shot off. 
if I played with Richard Hamilton, he would have got a shot off. Hell, Gilbert Arenas would have got a shot off right there. You didn't even get a shot off. We don't even know if you would have hit the goddamn shot. You ain't even get it off. I used to watch, where's your little touch move? You probably be the best scorer in the game. You got all these points. But you were looking for a bailout again. Kobe Bryant would have probably looked at that rose up for a three and won the game. That's what great people do. You can't say that you great. You got to do great things. That's where greatness lies. Not that's just driving to the basket, looking at the referee to bail them out. Mm. Mm. Uh, they set that off to Ether, uh, by the way. F. LeBron James is what, oh, wow. Uh, anyway, Kwame Brown, the former number one pick in the NBA draft. Uh, many people, you know, he's got a, uh, you guys know Kwame. He's been on the show. You know I'm a supporter of Kwame. He had beef with Steven Jackson. Uh, now he's gone after the big kahuna, LeBron James, and set off all the LeBron James, the, the Bron sexuals. Uh, I don't have you ever heard that name, Steve? The Bron, yes. Bron groupies are called Bron sexuals. I, I kind of like yeah. that name. He set off the Bron sexuals, including Shannon Sharp. Where do you stand on this beef, Bron or Brown? Well, I mean, does he have Nas written across the belly after that? Uh, you know. <laughs> Kwame makes a great point, though, and I brought it up a couple days ago. That last play in game six, or was it game four, actually, that had to be a drive, hard stop dribble, and a pull-up. He made a great point. Richard Hamilton was a master of the mid-range game, and there were a lot of players that would have the finesse and the overall competence to take that 14 to 16 to 17, 18-footer while LeBron plays a lot of bully ball and he does look to get bailed out in that last play, it was so obvious the referees just said, sorry, you, you just ran right into a double team there with Murray. And this is interesting. I wonder, though, with Kwame, is this a defense or an, uh, an endorsement of a man that he really didn't get along with, Michael Jordan, who many people consider the greatest player of all time? Now, we all know the history of the Wizards while – Look, Kwame had an NBA career. That has to be respected. You can call him a bust or whatever, but he actually lasted a pretty long time. This was not Anthony Bennett. He was actually a functional post defender that could rebound a little bit and can get very physical. There was a value to his game. Unfortunately, you expect a lot more from an overall number one pick. But Jordan soured very quickly on a very young Brown and then probably treated him very harshly, did not nurture him, didn't really care about his development. And I know that Kwame has been very upfront saying, you know, me and Michael really didn't get along. But I, I would like to ask uh, Kwame, Kwame, if LeBron is not your greatest player of all time, and I think he's made that very clear, would it be Jordan? And would he, would he admit that begrudgingly or would he say it out with his chest, as they say? <clears throat> I think he would say it with his chest out. I, I, I think... Kwame, I don't think Kwame's made peace with Michael Jordan as much as he's made peace with that situation as it relates to Michael Jordan. I think he got his side of the story out there as it relates to Michael Jordan in terms of like, <clears throat> here's Jordan at the end of his career, desperate to win. He didn't want some 18, 19 year old high school kid. And so he didn't try to help him develop. He actually tried to destroy him to prove a point yeah. that the Wizards were wrong for not constructing the team the way Jordan wanted. I think he got that out there. He made peace 
with the situation as it relates to Jordan. And yeah, I think if you watch his whole video and what he had to say about LeBron, I, I don't think Kwame has any qualms about saying Michael Jordan is one of the one or two best players of all time. I, you know, maybe Kwame thinks Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I, I don't know. He certainly thinks Michael Jordan is better than LeBron James, and he thinks Kobe Bryant because he also played yeah. with Kobe Bryant. He thinks Kobe Bryant is better than LeBron well, James, and he thinks that any of these guys, there was a spot on the court that they would get to where it was curtains, and, and he's basically said. LeBron plays a very primitive style of bully ball. He hits three-pointers and he runs over people. That's been his game. Yeah. He, he's basically calling LeBron unskilled in a game of skill. Jason, here's the thing. You know, and I got into it in the last couple of my appearances with Coach JV. Your old Ball State alumnus there, Darnell Smith. I, I mean, he must Darnell have Darnell Smith, I love that. Yeah, and he must have a fathead of Kobe in every room in his house. I, I mean, God, his devotion to Kobe is close to my devotion to the Miami Hurricanes. So I do respect that, but he's got to get it over with. Kobe's great. He's not Jordan. But with that said, I have said before that I believe that LeBron overall is a better ball facilitator and teammate than Kobe. However, that last play, and I've kind of thought about it, even though if I was to start a franchise and they said, Steve, your number one pick could either be LeBron or Kobe. Leave Jordan out of it. Who would you pick? I would probably pick LeBron because of his ability to distribute the ball a little bit better. But I will say this. In the last 30 seconds of any game, give me Kobe. Give me Kobe because, look, Kobe is the most creative shot maker I've ever seen. He had unbelievable guts. And I saw something on Twitter yesterday as this debate was raging on. There was this one play when Kobe was still wearing number eight. So it was in the first half of his career. They're down by one at Houston. And he gets the ball and he's getting swarmed. And all of a sudden, Yao Ming at 7-6 gets right in his face. Kobe just sticks an 18-footer right over him. And Yao Ming had really good position. It was a really good step-out defense. Kobe didn't care. That's the difference. And I'll repeat myself. LeBron does a lot of great things on the floor, but he has blind spots in, in terms of his offense, and he never truly developed that mid-range game that you need to really separate himself. And, and ask yourself this, Jason. Outside of the dunk or the, the, the rampaging to the rim, what's his go-to offensive move in the half-court set? Doesn't have one. Yeah. Steve, let me answer your question a little differently or, or give my take on it. If I had to pick between LeBron and Kobe, I would concede that LeBron is the better player. I would okay. concede that. I would take Kobe, though, because I think Kobe more coachable, and I think that, wait, wait, wait. again, when you, LeBron's played. Coachable? Huh? Phil Jackson wrote a book before he came back talking about how uncoachable Kobe is, though. Kobe was a little bit of a headache. Would you not admit that, Jason? Hey, Kobe was a headache that stayed in L.A. for 18 straight years, right? Or however long it was. LeBron James has played. I was thinking about this. Just think about this. Someone needs to do a study. I was thinking about this last night. How many... I guarantee you LeBron James has the record for having the most teammates in the history of the NBA. No, no. Jimmy Jackson says the most. 
I used to work with you, Jimmy Jackson. Had to be Jimmy Jackson. Why? Jimmy would be in contention, but just think about how many times here in Le- LeBron has blown up teams midseason. And, you know, and at the trade deadline, he gets a whole new team. It's not just hopping from team to team. It's just everybody's always trying to put pieces around LeBron. Jason, it's, I, I just this. think LeBron and I wouldn't want to. They're both hard to coach. Any great players hard to coach. At least Kobe stuck with one team. Now, if you go by all time NBA greats, I would say LeBron has to be number one. You're right. And, and Jimmy was a good player that got cast as a guy yeah. that always had that convenient contract. Jimmy, we like you, but we don't love you. Pack your bags. And he was a good player. Great player. Now. Here's the thing about Kobe with his longevity in L.A. You seem to forget the summer of 2007. This was the two straight years where Kobe was playing some of the most brilliant basketball I've ever seen. He's putting up 50-point games, uh, four straight games in a row, the 81-point game. But after they got bounced by the Suns the second year, that whole summer in Los Angeles, as a city, we were stressed out because there was this one particular day I remember I had to visit a few boxing gyms, and every time I got into the car, Kobe was either on the radio with Victor Brick Jacobs, L.A. legend, feeling you, Stephen A. Smith when he was doing ESPN radio, and every other interview I was like this. So on one trip, he's like, well, I want to be a Laker for life. They just got to give me help, but I love the Laker organist. Good, all right. Then he gets to Stephen A. Smith. You know, I don't want my prime wasted. I think I want to trade. And I'm thinking to myself, Bean, I'm on an emotional roller coaster here. I cannot handle this. You want to check out. This is your team. And this is where the doctor, Jerry Buss, separated himself as the greatest owner in all of sports history in America. He sat down Kobe and he said, Kobe, I just want you to know you are a valued member of this franchise. We are trying to make this work. You are a 24 karat diamond. You are rare. However, we are not just going to trade you for three eight-carat diamonds. It does not work that way. So we find a trade that also works for us. We'll get you out of here. But hold on, because remember, there was a trade of Ben Gordon and a couple of other Chicago Bulls that was being discussed. There was also talk of him being a clipper. But Dr. Jerry Buss, Mitch Kupchak, and Jerry West, they then engineered a trade for the Spaniard, Pau Gasol, and history was made. So let's not just act like Kobe was ride or die the whole time for the Lakers. It's simply not true. Darnell. Not true, but he didn't end up going anywhere. There's a lot of guys and girls that thought about divorce that didn't do it and got to that 50th anniversary and were very happy that they, you know, didn't give in to their weakness or whatever. Last thought, Kwame Brown... Chosen a decent target, get himself back in the yep. news cycle. Uh, <laughs> do you think this is sustainable? He also, earlier he went after Job ja Morant. He's yep. called him NBA Dumb Boy, uh, <laughs> which is a pretty good nickname. Uh, do you think Kwame Brown is, is here to stay as a, a, a sports pundit? Well, you know, look, I I thought the kitchen was closed on Mama's cooking, but obviously he's got a lot more recipes. His his recent video, he basically went after Shannon Sharp, and he said, hey, Shannon Sharp, I actually played the game. I was the number one pick. And and you have now John Morant carrying guns. You caused this. Look, the the Kwame Brown channel is interesting. I do watch it not as often as I did because I thought it got a little bit repetitive. 
in terms of his conflicts with Steven Jackson um, and that other guy, you know, Matt Barnes, right? It just Becky with the good hair, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very funny at first, but if you go back to uh, Kwame's videos from three, four years ago, I found those to be very interesting about how he farms his own food, about his life outside of basketball. He gave some political and societal opinions. I was like, wow, this is pretty interesting. I learned a lot about him. Look, uh, he did an interview with Tommy Sotomayor about four years ago. I thought it was really, really enlightening. He talked about how in his rookie year, he was talking to one of his white rookie teammates. And, and he said, this is the difference between a black athlete and most white athletes. He says, the white guy goes to me and goes, hey, what would you do with your check? And Kwame goes, well, I had to buy uh, this for my mom, this for my Uncle Ray Ray, this for Pookie, this for my cousin. And I did all this stuff. And, and I said, well, what did you do with your check? And the guy looks at him, his white teammate goes, oh, my dad just told me to put it in stocks and bonds. And I was like, wow. I mean, really uh, a look into how these athletes are really different and why they take different courses. I wish you'd do more of that. The beefs are funny. It gives us stuff to talk about. We can laugh about it. We can have our fun. But when he gave his viewpoints and perspectives on other things in life beyond sports, I thought it was actually more interesting to me. Well, Kwame, if you're out there, you're listening, we'd love to have you back on the show. We love you, Kwame. I, you know, Jason. obviously, I'm a LeBron critic. Yeah, so am I. Obviously, Jason, I'm a LeBron critic. Anybody beefing with LeBron, I love it. He's a friend of ours. He's a friend of ours. One last one before I get out of here on my show. Darnell Smith said you couldn't block him, so I just want to get that blasphemy out there. I want you to give that rebuttal. He said you could not handle him at any position. He would run around you, run through you. He'd look like mini Reggie White. Just put it out, just delivering the message. Just delivering the message. Listen, here's the, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually say something truthful instead of taking the bait. Darnell was a better college football player than me at Ball State. Oh. oh. I was, I was, but that's through my own stupid, immature choices and blah blah. But Darnell was a very good player, very good leader at Ball State. My high school career at Warren Central, because we went to the same high school as well, so dwarfs Darnell's high school career. I'm a legend. I'm in the Hall of Fame at my high school. I led us to our first state championship of many. I think we got nine or ten now. I, I'm a le- You say my name at my high school, and people go, oh. You say Darnell Smith, and they go, who? Now, again, yeah, Darnell... Great career at Ball State. Coaches loved him. I gave him a job because, again, the head coach said he's the best guy on the team in terms of just being a solid, rock-solid person. And and when JB called and asked me about Darnell, I was like, you're getting one of the best human beings on the planet. This kid is awesome. And so so I I love seeing these clips of you guys. Darnell's got a huge personality, man. All right, so I'm going to wrap it up like this. When it comes to Warren Central, you are Michael Jordan of the interior line. He is just merely Kobe. I think he'd actually be happy with that. There you go. Just like that. <laughs> no, he would be more like Kurt Rambis at my high school. I'm Michael Jordan. <laughs> I'll try to end it positively, and you just low blow him like Andrew Galata. Wow. That's Ball State beef right there. That is Ball State beef. Wow. God. Thank, and thank you, Steve. And for those of you that don't remember, uh, Darnell was the – he was me and uh, Marcellus' little brother on Speak for Yourself. 
you, you can come on uh, mid-show, always have on the funny t-shirts or the cool t-shirts. Little Wayne loves him, loves him. I don't even want to put the D on it, put an S on it. Anyway, Darnell, JB, and Steve Kim, all these guys, are they're doing their own thing together. JB's partnered up with Darnell. You guys should check them out. Uh, I need you guys to hit the likes. Give me that five-star review on Apple. Shamika Michelle is going to make it make sense next. All right, great stuff from Steve Kim, as always. I have to apologize. We had a little technical snafu. We won't have time for Shamika. I'm sorry. Uh, Shamika will be with us next week, though. She'll make it make sense then. All right, with that, we're done. Let's play some tomorrow, and we'll see you next week. Freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone, I'm breaking my back for freedom.